What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey everyone, it's Dan Favalli. Remember to search Blue Wire Buckets in iTunes or Spotify for more NBA content. Hello everyone, welcome back to the Hardwood Knox Podcast. I am Dan Favalli, your second favorite co-host around these parts. I will not be joined by Andy on this episode. Fear not, however, our off-season outlook train continues to roll on. We're stopping by the Portland Trailblazers' future today. I've brought on Tara Bowen Biggs, whose last name I screw up at the beginning of this podcast. I already apologized to her, but I just want to apologize once more for uh, inserting an R there for literally no reason whatsoever. Tara Bowen Biggs. Follow her on Twitter at TCB Biggs. That's at TCB B I G G S. She is the co host of the Blazers Edge podcast and also the co host for the Women's Hoops and Talks podcast. That's what you can follow them at Hoops and Talks, spelled exactly like it sounds. My other usual housekeeping notes to get out of the way if you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at Dan Favalli, F A V A L E. Andy is at Andrew D. Bailey. The show is at Hardwood Knox. And I will continue begging, pleading, imploring with everyone to rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes if you have not done those things already. We can be found wherever else you're consuming your podcast, whether it's Spotify, Art19, Google Play. We're all over the place. iTunes is still the best way to let us know that you're out there. If you have any feedback, leave it in the review section. We love reading those things. Definitely throw that five-star rating up there though and subscribe if you haven't already if you've done all those things start stealing people's phones and subscribing them to us uh subscribing subscribing to us for them that was a terribly butchered way to say any of that they will thank you later i promise and last but certainly not least be sure you're checking out all the other podcasts on the blue wire podcast network you can follow them on twitter at blue wire pods we are pumping out absurdly good content right now we have a lot of great nba and nfl podcast be sure to to check out others if you're only listening to us at the moment again that's at blue wire pods on twitter with all of that now done and finito we get to talk to tara bowen biggs about the portland trail blazers hello everyone welcome back to the hardwood knox podcast i am dan favalli coming at you once more without my co-host Andrew D. Bailey. The show must go on, though, and our off-season outlook train continues to roll, and we're moving on to the Portland Trailblazers today, and I'm super excited to be joined by Tara Briggs. She is the co-host of the Blazers Edge podcast and also the Women's Hoops and Talks, uh, aptly acronymed WHAT podcast, Uh, so be sure to check them out. If you're not following her on Twitter just yet, I would suggest remedying that yesterday you can find her at tcb biggs that's at tcb b-i-g-g-s um tara how are you doing today 
I am awesome. Thank you so much for inviting me to be on the show. I'm really excited to talk more about the Blazers. Can't ever get enough of that. Um, before, Yeah, I mean, I've, I love zooming in on the teams and talking to people who cover the teams in depth. I always learn something with these podcasts, so I'm excited. But first, I wanted to ask you about um, the Women's Hoops and Talks podcast. And you were telling us, telling me, us, it's only me, you're telling me before <laughs> we started that you guys are, it's more than just the podcast that you guys do meetups and, and all that kinds of stuff. Yeah. Um, so first I wanted to make one super small correction is that my last name is Bowen Biggs. It happens all the time. People call me Briggs, but it's Bowen Biggs. Um, so just wanted to get that out there. So about women's hoops and talks. So I started doing the Blazers Edge podcast about three and a half years ago. And I did just sort of like a, a fly in and out where I would do it like a couple times a month. And I had a partner named Joe and she and I would talk about the Blazers a couple times a month. And we were like trying to figure out how we could could tell more women about what we were doing. We didn't want to like emphasize the fact that we were women, but we thought, oh, more women might be interested in hearing what we have to say. So let's go find all the women who are Trailblazer fans. And so we were like, well, there must be like a meetup or something, right? And so mm -hmm. we went looking around and there was no meetup or anything. So we were like, okay, I guess we need to start this. And what we found is that as soon as we started looking, there were so many women who were massive, massive fans of the Blazers and also of the NBA. And we were just like, oh my gosh, there are so many women out here who want to talk about basketball that let's, let's get together. So we started a meetup and we would watch Blazer games together. And after our first meetup, like we had so much fun, it was totally clear that that was not going to be enough. And so we started a Facebook group. And so we have a Facebook group, which people can find by typing in women's hoops and talks. Um, and it's a really lively discussion. It's extremely positive, which is where kind of, I like to go to for escape. Talk, talking with the Blazers and about basketball with women is like in addition to talking about the Blazers and basketball with men. Like it doesn't replace my enjoyment of talking about the Blazers with anybody, but it's just like a whole separate group of people that have a lot of things in common with me, and we see things a lot the same way. So. We have we tend to like in addition to talking about the basketball, we'll be talking about like, oh, Damian Lillard's new little baby is so cute and we <laughs> could get him, you know, and it's just it's it's just a really fun addition to all of the other basketball talk that goes on. Uh, a few things. I apologize for fucking up your last name. I don't know why I edited oh, it's okay. in the uh, in the end of there. So it Tara happens Bowen all the Biggs. time. I don't know wh why do I want to say an R? That's inexcusable on my part. So I apologize. Everybody there. does it. Everybody does it. It's totally fine. But I just wanted to get it out there in case people think that something that I have to say is interesting and want to find more. <laughs> oh, they'll find it interesting, and I'll record a solo uh, intro to this beforehand where I guarantee I'll get it right. I'll be staring <laughs> at it in bold letters in a notes thing. Um, the other thing, really, so don't worry about it. How long? Or was there a lot of thought put into the name? Because like when you can, you know, when you can abbreviate it, what? Like stuff like that catches my attention, at least. And then if you can find um, the actual words to that, like make sense and, and is coherent, did that take you guys a while to come up with? Or was it just right off the bat? 
So uh, I love I'm what I call myself a serial group starter because I start like meetup groups all the time because I love connecting with people. And one of the things that I do, I always do is like come up with a funky acronym. And so I knew that I wanted to, you know, identify us as women. And then it just kind of came pretty quickly from there. I was like, I knew I wanted some kind of a word that would be easy to remember. But the funny thing is, is I've started, I'm trying, I try to be as inclusive as I possibly can be Mm -hmm. with this group. And I've decided that calling it women's hoops and talks is a, you know, is could be ex- pretty exclusive to people who don't identify as women. And so I'm kind of trying to toy about whether or not I want to change the acronym, but, you know, kind of that train has left the station. <laughs> so, but it's just, it's something that I'm really passionate about because the the voices that we hear talking at basket about basketball are wonderful they have a lot to say but they're they have a lot of similarities and every time somebody different comes in with a different sounding voice and has a different kind of perspective i think it enriches our whole discussion so i just try to be super intentional about not excluding anyone and i just worry that women's hoops and talks is you know exclusive of people who don't identify as women you know people who are non-binary or you know have different gender identities so I'm kind of mulling that around, but I'm glad that you like it and you remember it. So uh, thank you for <laughs> pointing that out. No, I love the I love the what. Um, and if you're not following them, uh, first of all, subscribe to them and rate them on iTunes and review them if you're not already. If you're not following the what podcast uh, at Hoops and Talks, spelled exactly like it sounds. Um, so be sure to do that. Thank you for filling uh, me in on that. Where are these meetups? Do you guys change where the meetups are happening? What types of places are they at? So it, we have them in Portland and we have a local uh, restaurant that has like a, a room in the back that has like a big drop down screen so we can watch it on a big giant screen. And, you know, it's not huge. We usually have like, you know, 15 to 20. We've had like 25 or, or 30 people during playoff runs. Um, so we have those, but we have, you know, hundreds of people in our Facebook group. And so for those of us who like, aren't at the meetups, the Facebook group is also like really active. Um, and it's fun. I always go back and read the Facebook group after like, so I'll watch a game, the Blazers win, the Blazers lose, whatever happens, all the hot takes come out. Everybody's mad about whatever it is they're mad about. And, you know, and then I go to the women's hoops and talks Facebook group and read that whole thread. And it's always like, so respectful and so like, you know, Damien was really struggling tonight. I'm not sure why he was having such a hard time (laughs) getting his shot off from three. I could tell he was really working at it, but it seemed like he didn't have as much room as he usually did, you know, and it's always so like refreshing to really, um, interact with a bunch of people who are really like puzzling through in their head, like what's happening rather than just like sharing exactly what they think went on. Um, kudos to you for running a Facebook group account. I can barely run the two Twitter accounts I'm responsible for. So well, I have a lot of help because it's a, it's a group that like really takes care of itself. So it's awesome. That's fantastic. Um, again, so, so be sure to follow the, the what podcast at hoops and talks if you are not already. Uh, are you ready to talk some blazers? Always, always. So, they get to the Western Conference Finals, something I think after uh, Yusuf Nurkic went down that no one saw happening. Because I think you could make the case, I'm guilty of underrating CJ McCollum probably frequently or annually. But I think you could make the case that Nurkic might have been their second best player during the regular mm-hmm. season. And so they get to the Western Conference Finals. It's, you know, they get 
stomped by the Warriors, but that tends to happen unless you're the Toronto Raptors, apparently. <laughs> uh, so is this for like the first time, I, I would guess in like two or three, maybe even more than that, off seasons where they're going to be, the Blazers are going to be inoculated against, they need to be a major change. They need to break up the CJ Dame backcourt. I do tend to disagree with the notion that Nurkic would have made a huge difference in the Warriors series, but I think the fact that you get to the Western Conference Finals, it's got to safeguard them, I would think, against the the critiques of how they've prioritized continuity over the past um, half decade or so. I could talk a whole hour on just this topic alone. There is, there's so much in there to unpack. First, I'll start with Nurkic. Nurkic was a revelation this season. The way that he came into figuring out what his role was and who he was supposed to be on this team, it was like magical. And I'm like not exaggerating. <laughs> I exaggerate a lot, but that was, it was magical. You know, when, when Nurk first came to Portland, we uh, suffered from this thing that everybody in town called Nurk fever. Everybody instantly was just fell for him and his game was amazing. And he, he just played out of his mind and the Blazers went on this unexpected run and it was super fantastic. And I was, was less on board than most people. I was like, I want to see a year's worth of this because I thought a lot of it was probably just adrenaline. And he was excited because where he was in Denver wasn't a good fit for him. And he'd come somewhere where they welcomed him with open arms and he played fantastic. But I wanted to wait and see what the the first se- full season was like. And it was good. And he was like, oh, okay, this is what a rim protecting center looks like. That's exciting. So he, you know, he made a difference on the team, but what he did this year is he took on more of a role of the offense started to go through him. He was an extra, uh, you know, he was an extra option for Damien. So when people attacked Damien, there was Nurkic rolling and he could either roll all the way or he could pass it out really effectively, or he could be on the post and he could pass it out of the post. And it just opened up more possibilities. And he just took Nurkic just took on that responsibility and he relished it and he loved it. And he started being the player who, in addition to Damian and CJ to an extent too, he was excited to get other players involved. I'm convinced that it was Nurkic that got, that unlocked whatever was waiting to come out of Mo Harkless because Nurkic would look for Harkless cutting and then Harkless would have a dunk that would, you know, be awesome and everything. So I can't overstate how much we were so, so excited about Yusuf Nurkic this year. And I agree, a lot of people, I think, would have said that that Nurkic was arguably the second best player on the team. Also, partly, CJ had a few shooting slumps that were a little bit longer than usual this uh, yeah, this, like there was this year. Like a, like a six of 17 nights happening more frequently for him. Yeah. Yeah, so CJ had had a little bit of a harder time than usual getting into his rhythm, but by the end of the season he had really gotten back and he had some super fun games to watch. But so anyway, I think that yes that people are less likely to be demanding that CJ and Damian Lillard get broken up, but I think kind of the undercurrent of that suggestion is that the Blazers are continually getting closer and closer to being contenders. I mean, they made it to the Western Conference Finals. So, like, I think we can say they're at least fringe contenders. And at this point, when people talk about breaking up Dame and CJ, they do it because they feel like 
if the Blazers could just get one more piece. And, well, we're certainly not going to want to trade Damian Lillard. C.J. McCollum is somebody that a lot of people think he could easily run his own team, that he has enough, you know, character and, you know, um, high basketball IQ and leadership that he could actually run his own team. And so people look at the breaking up Damon C.J., I think, more so now in the terms of, like, if the Blazers are going to make a big move, it's likely CJ that would be the most attractive piece to put on the table. And in that case, just because of his skill. And also, like I said, his leadership abilities, he CJ McComb was absolutely ridiculous during most of the playoffs. Oh, he was so fun to watch. He was just so good. He has to be the smoothest scorer in the NBA at this point where you just look at his mid range game and like the, the floaters he can whip out. He's, he was just a monster in the playoffs. Again, I'm guilty of underrating him probably too often. Mm -hmm. Uh, the case for Nurkic as their second best player during the regular season is just his game is a little bit more complete. He was absurd passing, and then he was important to what they were doing defensively. I know bigs tend to get uh, diminished from the outside because everyone attributes it to the way that Terry Stotts kind of implements his schemes, but he, I think it was clear that he was super important in the way that defense was functioning. And so I, I think that this is the offseason where I, – I don't want, I don't know if that temptation is going to come because I don't know what you're actually trading. You're right. You're not going to even look at trading Damian Lillard. We're going to get into his extension in a second, but what are you, who are you flipping CJ McCollum for anyway? So I, I feel like this might be that first off season where it's just accepted that, okay, the Blazers, um, they're going to keep maybe most of the roster intact. Or maybe they'll look to make moves on the margins since they have all these expiring contracts and who knows what's going to happen in the West. And that was sort of the, the the takeaway from this year because they were able to reach the Western conference finals. And if Durant ends up leaving the warriors in free agency, if the Houston Rockets continue to just self-destruct for no reason (laughs) from within, like then all of a sudden the Western conference is not just wide open for the Blazers to be a fringe contender, but it's just, it's a wide open period. And this, this roster looks it's shakier because I, I think we could guess that Nurkic is going to miss all of next year, or at least most of it with those compound leg fractures. So but still, you don't know what's going to happen. And to have reached the Western Conference Finals now, I think that allows the Blazers to, I don't want to say inaction is now their right, but I think they validated the approach that they've taken over these past few years. Yeah, and I think one of the things about continuity that doesn't get talked about a lot is there's a continuity of Damon CJ. But this year was the year, like I talked about with Nurkic, but other players too suddenly found their roles this year. And it it took a while for Mo Harkless to figure out, I think, where, you know, where he fit in. Um, it was the first year that we saw much playing time for Jake Lehman. And Jake Lehman was a regular season player. We didn't see him very much in the playoffs. But there were players who have been around for a while. Evan Turner is another guy whose game changed quite a bit this year in a way that it looked like he'd suddenly like fallen into place. Like he'd figured out, okay, this is what I need to be doing right now for this team. So, and the other thing I would say about Damon CJ as a backcourt is that um, one of the things that I've learned from my uh, Blazers Edge podcast co-host Dan that he talks about a lot is just this the sheer like height of Damon CJ Mm -hmm. those guys are not very tall and not having I mean they're taller than you know than me obviously but uh they've always like it's hard to see over all these big guys when Clay Thompson is coming at you he's a big tall guy and the and you know these guys just have a harder time seeing around them but over the years 
the Blazers have brought in taller guys who can also handle the ball. So Evan Turner is a guy who had the ball in his hand a lot this this uh, this season. Also, you know, with the second unit, you know, we got Rodney Hood. We got some guys who are like six nine, and we've talked about we've been talking about guys who are taller who can also you know, see around the giant guys that are coming at you all the right. time. Um, and so, you know, some of the personnel that is um, coming up around Damon CJ is also, I think, making it easier for them to do the things that they need to do. It also helps that Dame can now shoot from 35 feet out regularly. <laughs> yeah, just off the <laughs> dribble with just whatever. Uh, and th- th- you mentioned Evan Turner. What I found interesting this year is that they've done it before, but like they kind of cut out the formality of – uh, he's our de facto point guard and it there were just minutes where he was just the actual point guard right? mm-hmm. I think the lineups there was no other candidate on the floor and so it's for someone I think of him to just be willing to I guess not really change his role but I his importance to them waxes and wanes depending on the opponent and the limitations that he has as um, a jump shooter obviously so that's mm-hmm. just a they seem to have surrounded this team or made this team up of guys who are good culture setters. And Dame mm-hmm. is obviously at the front of that. If you can get someone to face your franchise who talks and walks and just backs it up, like he's going to die for the franchise is just absolutely incredible. Yeah. And you know, the way that Dame, I mean, Portland begins and ends with Damian Lillard. <laughs> it's just, that's, that's the facts. And, um, not only does his is his play and his you know the obvious leadership that I I think even people outside of Portland have heard about, um, you know it's little things that he does to keep the other guys engaged. Like at the end of I can't remember if it was game four, or game three, one of the games in the Oklahoma in the Oklahoma series. Like of course he'd had a fantastic game, and they asked him how he had done it, and he said, you know, um, it takes a lot of players to lead a group of men. It's not just me. And then he called out Myers Leonard and Evan Turner for their leadership the entire season. And this was like on the national broadcast interview after one of these games. And I'm sure everybody around the country was like, what, why are you bringing these up? But the way that, you know, the way that Damien goes out of his way to acknowledge the contributions that everybody gives to the team is just, it's really outstanding. Chris Haynes of Yahoo Sports reported almost immediately after the Blazers season was over, I think, that Lillard, the Blazers plan to sign Lillard to the four-year, $191 million extension that he's eligible for, uh, given that he has those All-NBA honors under his belt. That's You absolutely offer it. That's, uh, that's mm-hmm. just not up for debate. I'm just wondering how you feel about it in the context of that takes him through his age 34 season, if we're assuming last year's a player option is age 33 season. Uh, how do you feel about that type of contract aging, knowing uh, what's happened to some of these deals that have been signed on the same scale? Right. So, you know, I compare it to Chris Paul and John Wall. I Those are kind of the ones that I look to. And I think, who would I rather be paying that money to? Damian Lillard, Chris Paul, or John Wall? And in my mind, Damian Lillard wins every time. Right. Um, you know, because even if... You know, Damien has done a really good job of he's 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 been lucky. He has a fantastic staff of people around him. And I think he's very careful about um, the health, you know, his health. Uh, I think this year was the first time that he actually like sat out a game for rest. Basically, it was the last game of the season and they all sat that one out. I would love to talk about that game if we have time, but <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, so, you know, I think that 
you know, it's likely that I would rather offer it to him now than be like deciding whether or not we're going to pay him that kind of money when he's already in his thirties. So I, we, you pay it, you pay it again and again, as you know, as many times as anybody asks me that question, I'm going to say, yes, Damien does it. And like towards the end, you know, it might feel painful, but I, I wouldn't blink an eye for a second about it. And it helps the point you made about, uh, Chris Paul is just perfect. They gave him that money when he was basically 33. Yeah. And so you're giving it to Damian Lillard before that. I do wonder though, I go back and forth. When it's, when you look at his game, I think there's a case to be made that it will age well because it's just not prided on being so explosive. And it's not, you know, you watch Chris Paul and how much emphasis he places on like really trying to pound the ball into the ground and cooking guys off the dribble and getting into the lane sometimes where Damian Lillard, if you're going to fire those those pull-ups, I guess you're not exhausting as much energy, but then I'm watching these shots that he takes and they just mm-hmm. seem so difficult. And I'm wondering if on some level, like those take up more energy uh, th- than we actually realize because we talk about jump shooters, their game should age well. I just, he will be, and there'll be other players like this too. Maybe Stephen Curry, who's ahead of the age curve right now, will be a good um, just comparison to look mm-hmm. to. I'm just interested to see how that type of game does age when we're talking about, you know, age 32, age 33, Dame. Yeah. I, the thing that I think we're all more interested in with Damian Lillard is every year we're like, okay, he can't possibly add more to his game. And then the next year he comes out and he adds something new to his game. So I'm worried about more about like, when does he run out of things to add to his <laughs> game? Because he's just shown that he can be so nimble and so thoughtful about, oh, okay, I need to improve this thing. Like this is what happened at the end of last year. So this is what I need to do to be successful this year. And, you know, he targets those things that he needs to work on and he adds something new every time. So I think that by the, I think he's wise, you know, he's a really wise man and as his game and his body, you know, move on, I think he's probably got plans right now about, you know, what he's going to start doing to change when, you know, maybe he can't get that lift that he needs to, you know, for those, you know, long shots or when, uh, you know, he can't get to the rim as he could, you know, in the past. I have this feeling that he's got it all plotted out. I have a lot of faith in him, as you can tell. Well, I mean, it's it's deserved, but I think just to be a, a superstar nowadays, like that's just the mindset it takes. Like every detail of your life is just so meticulously planned out for the next decade plus, basically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When you're selling online, getting your orders out can be a real pain time-consuming, expensive, so many carriers to choose from. How do you know you're making the best choice? That's why you need ShipStation.com. It's the fastest, easiest, and most affordable way to manage and ship your orders. ShipStation helps you get orders out quickly, save money on shipping costs, and keep your customers happy. No matter where you're selling, Amazon, Etsy, your own website, ShipStation brings all your orders into one simple interface, making them really easy to manage from any device, even your cell phone. And right now, Hardwood Knox podcast listeners can try ShipStation free, free, for 60 days when you use promo code BLUE. There's absolutely no risk. You can start your free trial without even entering your credit card information. 
ShipStation works with all of the major carriers, including the United States Post Office, FedEx, UPS, even Amazon Fulfillment. So you can compare and choose the best shipping solution for you and your customer. No wonder ShipStation is the number one choice of online sellers. You'll ship more in less time with the best rates available. Just visit ShipStation.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in BLUE. That's ShipStation.com, then enter promo code BLUE, B-L-U-E, ShipStation.com. Make ship happen. How do you feel about Zach Collins's development? And okay. I took a lot of shit because I was wondering if he would hold. I, he's a he was a very good defender his rookie season. I was just wondering they were so reluctant to play him at the five then that I, I was wondering if his defense would hold up with more minutes uh, there. It did, and the lineups he played almost eleven hundred possessions at center uh, this year in the regular season for cleaning the glass, and the defense was was good there. I'm wondering what you think of his kind of. Uh, offensive development because his just his role right now seems just a little bit more theoretical than than actual of uh, like than, than functional uh he's didn't shoot still not shooting a great clip from three he was under 30 percent on catch and shoot threes which is something that i was surprised to see i didn't think it was that low when i when i looked this up the other day so i'm just curious as to what you thought about his development over the the first two seasons Right. So I'm excited about Zach Collins. I think that, like you said, everybody knew that he was a a good defender coming in and kind of felt like offense would be sort of like a bonus. And, you know, he says that he wants to play center. And a lot of us who watch the Blazers play like him at the four uh, because, I mean, they have, except for that he's injured, they have Yusuf Nurkic and they brought in Ennis Cantor to be the backup center. They did not, you know, intend for him to be the four. They intended for Ennis Cantor to back up uh, Yusuf Nurkic. But of course, out of necessity, things got moved around a little bit. And the thing that I was most concerned with, with Zach, and I do want him to learn how to score, but I don't think that's what the focus was this year. I felt like he did take those threes in a lot more natural motion. That is getting more natural for him. I just don't think that has that that's really never been his bag is to you know be a, a quick shooter I was more worried about the fact that he could not handle he could not hang on to the ball he would get rebounds and then it would go then he would lose the ball offensive defensive I don't know what was going on with his hands so I was super happy to see by the end of the season he'd get the ball he'd go up with two hands he'd grab the ball and he would hold on to it even in the playoffs when he was up against you know those tall trees of you know those other games so i was really i was really more focused on whether he was going to figure out how to hold on to the ball so that he could get out from under the basket and so any offense that he gives us i feel like is a bonus at this point do you think he's in – I think nat, when you look at the natural progression, we could probably guess that he would be in for a more prominent role anyway. But I'm wondering with the Nurkic injury, his minutes didn't really climb after that. And I know they had Kanner. But do you think that he's going to take on an, an even bigger role, maybe even bigger than would have been initially expected because of this Nurkic injury next season? Yeah, the center position is a real conundrum for the Blazers. And that's kind of when I think about the things that the Blazers need to address in the offseason. You know, one is I think they need to go at least try for a big time trade. The second is that they need to, I think they should look to secure another center. And then finally, they need to figure out how to get 14 guys, at least 14 guys on the roster when they've got 
10 guys and they were already over the cap. So, <laughs> um, but the center is, I think going to be a, a really interesting question because right now they've got Zach Collins, Myers Leonard, and I guess Scal Levisier. like that's <laughs> what they've got. Right. So they either are going to need to, you know, talk Cantor into staying and use either cat magic or, you know, <laughs> something to figure out how to make that happen. Goodwill. I don't know. Um, or they're going to have to go find, you know, somebody who can be in that. But I do believe that the plan is no matter what they're going to do, I believe we are going to see more Zach Collins, partly by necessity, partly because that's the trajectory. It'll be his third year. And that's how Stotts typically does it. They have, and, and you sort of just touched on this. So they have a, I guess I said a few, but it's really a bunch when you factor in Canner, uh, even Layman's hitting free agency. But they also have Aminu, yeah, they have five. Yeah, uh, Seth Curry, Rodney Hood. There's obviously when you look at Seth and Rodney Hood and Canner, they don't have their bird right. So there's the cap stuff that goes into that. But I'm just wondering of that quintet, um, and and maybe even I would have narrowed it down to Aminu Curry and, and Hood. Who is just their most important free agency? The guy that you look at and say, if possible, he really needs to be back that's really hard. It just depends on what day you ask. And I've really just stopped trying to guess that I know what they're trying to prioritize because one of the things that the Blazers have been really successful with is going out and finding guys who have not really reached their potential somewhere else yet and then bring them in here, put them in the right place and then have them blossom. So, and those are typically guys that they get on like minimum contracts or they could pick up for one of the, um, the MLEs, you know, so I kind of think just because of the situation with Nurkic that they're going to need to bring in a center. And I think they would love to have Cantor. And I think a lot of people in Portland are hoping that, you know, the, the way that he's really taken to the city, um, you know, that he might be willing to, you know, come in for less money. He's already made a lot of money. And by the way, that's thanks to the Portland Trailblazers. He made all that money in Oklahoma City. Um, you know, but I think also like Ennis Cantor, somebody who appears to be happy just about anywhere as long as he's playing. And so and he and he showed, oh, also he can play defense more than anybody ever thought that he could. So I think he's gonna the Blazers will be in competition for uh his services but you know what if i was them i would i would if i was the blazers i would at least try i would definitely at least try um to say you know what remember that 70 million dollars that you made at oklahoma city <laughs> it's because we offered you that max contract yeah, that's <laughs> and right. they had to match it so i don't know if there might be a little bit of goodwill i mean you can't you know, you can't ever count on that goodwill. You guys should go out and make as much money as they possibly can. But, you know, maybe Cantor's the kind of guy, you know. And there's a congressperson here in Oregon who's working really hard on, you know, getting Cantor's issues with Turkey mitigated so that he can travel. Um, you know, it's not quite like Kauai where I haven't seen businesses say that Cantor could eat for free anywhere he comes. But well, Portland's doing eats. everything that they can. <laughs> Well, he also, so I don't know if you saw that video of him, I guess it was cheat day or uh, 
Ramadan yeah. was older, where he had the six or seven burgers, and he yeah. was wearing a Blazers jersey. Yes. So, oh, yes. That was well documented in Portland. <laughs> uh, you bringing up the offer sheet for him, that Portland's dodged some pretty bad contracts over the past few years between him and Chandler Parsons. I don't, I mean, Terry Stott's turning Ennis Cantor into anything less than or anything better than a trade wreck against pick and rolls in the half court. Uh, he deserves at least a handful of coach of the year votes uh, for that alone. But that is not a contract that they would have wanted to have had, that 470. And then you look at Parsons deciding to go to the Grizzlies instead of Portland in, in 2016. They, they dodged a couple of uh, bad ones. Right. Well, you know, we got to give Cantor a lot of credit, too. He played like just a, a hero, really. Um, as soon as Nurkic went down, he just took it upon himself to fill in that role. And it, it's interesting because one of the reasons they got Cantor, is my understanding, one of the reasons that, you know, they pursued him this time um, was because in a lot of ways, except for the defense, he played similarly to um, to Nurkic. So you could always have a guy in there who could just like thunder down the lane. And so that no matter who was in there at center, you know, uh, the other team would have a real load to have to handle. Um, so I think one of the things that made the Blazers able to have some success is that they didn't have to like rejigger their, they didn't have to replan their whole offense. They pretty much were able to just slot him in and keep playing similarly to -hmm. how they were playing before. And he just had to learn how to do a few other things. So Blazers love continuity. So I can see them, you know, working hard to try to retain him. But in any case, they need to have at least another center. I mean, Myers Leonard was fantastic in the, in the playoffs, you know, at least for that. (laughs) Right. Myers Leonard. And, um, he, you know, is somebody who for seven seasons now Blazers have been on the edge of their seat wondering, is this going to be it? Is this going to be it when we see, you know, full on Myers Leonard? And it was extremely gratifying to see him have that success. Uh, but I'm just not sure that only him and Zach Collins and like I said, Scal are enough <laughs> to carry them through whenever Nurkic comes back. I think what might end up helping them or making it likely that they get Cantor back is one, you you talked about the playing time already, and with Nurkic's injury, they can guarantee him probably a starting spot next year, I would say. And then two, I just, I went through this when he went through the whole dance last summer about, oh, am I going to pick up my player option? Am I not going to pick up my player option? There's just not a market for bigs the way they're used to be who mm-hmm. are not Carl Anthony Towns or Anthony Davis or or those guys. And I don't think that is going to have you know, I'd be, I would be genuinely surprised. Maybe that's too strong of a word, but to see him even get the mini mid-level at $5.3 million, I think it would surprise me a little bit for a team to offer him that. And so I think that bodes well for the Blazers chances of keeping him. Yeah, he has a, there's a unique fit in terms of the type of basketball that he plays and the team that they've built here in Portland. I think that's a really good point that you make. Yeah. There just aren't that many centers out there who can do exactly. I mean, there's, you know, Portland had a love affair with Ed Davis and we were very crushed when he moved away to go to Brooklyn and he signed like a one year, $5 million with Brooklyn. And now, you know, that's up. So Ed Davis is conceivably on the market again. But then when I, as much as I love Ed Davis, I just look at the type of basketball that he plays and just, and his canter, what he's been doing is a better fit for the type of basketball they have been playing lately. 
you mentioned um, how when I asked you the free agent question, how it seems to change by the day. Uh, <laughs> uh, Minu seems like a perfect example of that because I wrote about him before the playoffs and how uh, on the like him entering free agency, he's one of the more underrated targets for teams because he's not. I wouldn't call him like this lockdown defender, but the type of workload he shoulders for Portland and you isolate it over the past two or three seasons is just absolutely nuts. And he was, um, Nylon Calculus has a versatility metric, and he ended up grading out as one of the highest volume versatile defenders in the league. And one of the things I did say that ended up imploding in my face was his three-point percentage had improved in the playoffs <laughs> and basically every single season for his career. And so if you had a guy who during the regular season was going to shoot about 35% on his catch-and-shoot threes, but that's someone who could end up being super valuable and then getting paid. Then the playoffs happen, and mm-hmm. he's almost unplayable by the end of them. And so I'm just wondering where you think he stands relative to Portland. They, I, I think it's safe to say they need at least one wing who can shoot and dribble, uh, where Evan Turner kind of takes care of the ball handling. He's just not the shooter. And then uh, Aminu, his shooting comes and goes, and I don't think you could call him – you wouldn't be able to call him a great shooter anyway, and, and he's not going to do much with the ball in his hands. And it did seem like Blazers' Twitter – uh, turned on him a little bit during the playoffs. So I'm just wondering at what price, I guess, do you not want to bring him back? Or do you think he's he's gone no matter what? And it's just, he, he's the easiest one to bring back because they have his bird rights. Mm-hmm. I know they might be concerned about the tax and stuff, but uh, so I'm wondering if that increases his importance to them by default because they know that they can bring him back without regard basically to what's happening on the open market. So, um, Alfred Camino is somebody else I could talk about for an entire hour. You're probably not ever going to meet anybody who appreciates him more than I do. I actually was fortunate enough to meet him in person one time. And I told him, I said, outside of your own family, I'm probably the (laughs) biggest appreciator of Alfred Camino and what he has brought to this team. He uh, is a Blazers would not be where they were without him. You know what? They would not have been the third seed and able to make it through the playoffs the way that they did without him having been there for the regular season. Mm -hmm. I think that he's a super predictable player and that works really well for the 82 games because you only see teams a couple of times and they kind of like when they're looking through the scouting report, they're not really focusing on him. You know, Alfred Camino's role is guard the best player unless it's the point guard, and sometimes even then, guard the best player and shoot threes. And, you know, for the regular season, that works really well. But once we get into the playoffs, you know, his consistency becomes more of a detriment in terms of, you know, if anybody spends a few minutes looking at his scouting report, they go, oh, okay, I need to do this and this and this and this, and then we'll take care of and we'll, you know, uh, make it so that he's not an offensive factor anymore. So they throw in somebody like Rodney Hood that people aren't more, aren't prepared for the Blazers barely even know how to use him because they just got him. And he has more success in that category. So I think the Blazers, like you said, because they have his bird rights, they can go over, they can pay more for him. So I'm guessing that I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised at all if they got him back. And I think it's going to be, I think this off season for the Blazers is going to go on for a really long time because there's so many different, you know, 
things that are up in the air. It's not going to be like July one, some big giant thing happens and then it's all taken care of. I think it's probably going to be a series of wait and see. So I think that, um, he's also been on in a really like a really good contract compared to all the other contracts. I mean, he's, he had one of those ones that went down by like a million dollars every year. So, you know, he was making less this year than he was the other years of his contract. He's always been like that. And so, yeah, I think that they, I would not be surprised at all if they bring him back, but I don't feel like it's a necessity if that, if, if that makes sense. No, it definitely makes sense. I identified him as the one that they couldn't lose. And then the playoffs happened. So like I'm saying, that just blew up right in my face. Yeah. And his, I, I didn't even looking back on that deal. What was it? Four years and twenty eight million was was that what his deal was when he signed it in twenty fifteen? He made between like it, it's. I think he started at like eight something and he ended at like six point nine or something. Oh yeah, I'm not, so I'm looking at four and thirty. That ended up being a even if they end up losing him, that ended up being a, a hell of a deal for them. Yeah. So yeah, I, I know they just paid the tax and. You mm-hmm. have Damien's extension that you have to at least think about um, two years from now when it kicks in. Uh, CJ McCollum's deal in that time span, uh, I believe he's a free agent in two years as well. Is are they? Do you think that avoiding the tax this year is going to end up being a priority for them, or do you foresee them maybe in maybe particularly because they made it to the Western Conference Finals, where now they're going to be even more willing to pay it once again just to see if there are any upgrades to improve this team, or even just to keep the the nucleus of this roster intact. So, like I said, that I think that one of their offseason priorities is going to be at least to try for that big time trade that could, you know, get them the one player, you know, and it's it would have to be big. I think it would be like, you know, all in for Anthony Davis or something like that. Um, I think that depending on how that goes, will show how willing they will, they will be, it might be just that they try for the trade and it doesn't work. And so then they have to do everything around the edges. And at that point, I think they will try as hard as they can to get under one thing that we haven't talked about that was kind of hanging over the team this entire season was that the owner, Paul Allen died three days before the season started. So there was a lot of uncertainty about what was even going to happen with the team um, for a lot of the season. His, uh, his, sister now is, um, you know, the owner or the, I guess it it belongs to her now, or at least she's running it. And, uh, you know, she's come out and explained that, you know, things aren't going to change, but how much she's willing to go into the tax may be different than how much Paul, Paul Allen was willing to go into it. So that's something that, you know, those of us who've been following the team for a while are a little unclear on how willing they, they would be. So, I guess if they were going to do something big and splashy, then yeah, they're willing to it. But uh, if it's going to be like it always has been in the last three or four years where they're making moves on the margin, I think it could end up being one of those things where, you know, at the end of the, they're making moves where they're, you know, $150,000 below the luxury right. cap because they've done that before. <laughs> yeah, they're, uh, they're stretched contracts on the book still. Prove oh, that. $5 million. They're- <laughs> They're, and they're in a tricky situation, too, because before, if, if they even just renounce all their free agents, so I'm not even accounting for a Minu's cap hold, they're inside $4 million of the tax is just what I have them at now. And so I know those projections are fluid and exact, so they're within five already. And so if you re-sign a Minu, you're basically just into the tax. And mm-hmm. 
I, I don't know what contract they would look to dump. They have a few expirings. It's just, you know, I don't think that you can actually, I, I know it was, he played really well towards the end of the season, but you, with Nurkic out, I don't think that you could really justify, unless it's like you said, a big splash, getting rid of Myers Leonard. It probably still takes a sweetener to get rid of the final year of Evan Turner's deal. So I'm just fascinated to see how they end up operating over the off season because they do have to, I'm, they're, I'm assuming they're never going to pay the repeater tax. And so when you look two years in advance at what Damian Lillard is going to make, if you want to keep CJ McCollum around, that's something that you almost have to start planning for. If not this summer, that then definitely mm-hmm. the following summer. Yeah. Right now they have 126 million committed to 10 players. So they have to figure out how to at least get 14 guys on the roster. <laughs> So it'll be it'll be really interesting. We'll learn a lot, I think, about the nuances of the CBA by following the Blazers this year. And, it, you know, one of the things I love about the offseason isn't so much the, you know, the 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 potential of like players moving or whatever. Like that's interesting. But what I'm always fascinated by is what do GMs figure out as, you know, the thing that they're going to do uh to get through all the, the tricky things, what, like what clever new um, loophole is somebody going to discover? Or, you know, last year it was like, Oh, they just gave everybody one year contracts. You know, it was like, what are they going to do with everybody? So hamstrung. And it's like, Oh, they just gave everybody one year contracts. And so now we have a situation where, you know, more people are coming up for free agency than ever before. And so that's always something that fascinates me. So I'm sure that they're going to come up with something that we haven't, even thought of yet <laughs> yeah they're they're whatever we're talking about they're 10 to 15 steps ahead and had this conversation yeah. like two or three years ago probably yeah <laughs> <laughs> so just assuming that they operate as a tax team and then assuming that they are willing to dip into their mid-level at 5.3 million my question here is twofold and maybe you kind of already answered it when you were talking about the importance of getting a center but what is the most important need for them uh, I think the obvious ones are when you look at you know Seth kind of entering free agency. Um, do you need backcourt and ball handling help behind CJ and Dame? Uh, that might be a conversation that leads into Anthony Simons. Uh, do you need a wings who can? I think every team wants wings who can both dribble and shoot, or is it a big man? And so, at, based on that need, then that you choose from those three, what are, are there any free agents that you look at as potentially good fits for the money that Portland's going to be able to end up offering? So no, because I have learned that it's never anybody that I would have expected or had necessarily even heard of, you know, so the Blazers big splash last year was Nick Stauskas. So it's like, I've just given up uh, trying to figure out what, what they're going to do, who they're going to go after. And I would rather just like deal with the aftermath. But another thing that I know for sure, after having been a Blazer fan, at least in the Olshay era, is that we just, we don't get you just you don't fall in love with the backup point guard because there's always a new one coming in. We went through Earl Watson, Brian Roberts, Tim Fraser, Shabad Napier, Seth, you know, Seth Curry, Mo Williams back in the day. Like you just don't get attached to the backup point guard because that's never a position that they that they put a lot of emphasis on. They get somebody who maybe had an injury, maybe who was the at the end of the bench, somebody that they know who has the ability to come on if necessary to handle the ball. But with Dame and CJ and at this point, Evan Turner as well, we have a there's a lot of capable ball handlers. What they need are shooters. So, um, you know, one, 
somebody we haven't really talked about a lot is Rodney Hood. And, you know, Rodney Hood is, again, like we have these guys who they come here and then they play so well, they sort of price themselves out of the market. And then we all sit there and go, well, maybe he just really likes it here. <laughs> He'll stay. <laughs> I don't know. But they, they need shooters more than they need ball handlers, I guess, is kind of the crux of what I'm saying. When you do... Harry's Razors is helping Blue Wire listeners with a better shaving experience. Go to harrys.com slash bluewire to save $10 on a value trial set, which includes a five-blade razor with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade, rich lathering shave gel, and a travel blade cover. Enough with the cheap razors. Go try Harry's now. It's just $3 for our loyal listeners. Harry's has fixed shaving by combining a simple, clean design with quality and durable blades at a fair price. Harry's founders were tired of paying for razors that were overpriced and overdesigned. Harry's bought a world-class blade factory in Germany that's been making quality blades for over 95 years. Join the 10 million who have tried Harry's. Claim your official trial offer by going to harrys.com slash bluewire. All of Harry's blades come with a 100% quality guarantee. If you don't love your shave, let them know and they'll give you a full refund. Again, make sure to go to harrys.com slash bluewire to redeem your razor for only $3. When you do look at how limited they're going to be, no matter what they really decide to do in adding talent, are we going to see them lean more heavily on... um, Excuse me, as I clear my throat, Simons uh, oh. next year. Where it's and this is this is probably the segue into the game that you wanted to talk about. Just the most, I, I guess you can't call it bizarre, but he plays forty eight <laughs> minutes in the final game of the season against Sacramento, scores thirty seven points, uh, drops nine assists. That was you talk about tantalizing and random at the same time. Like that was that was something. Right. I'm glad you uh, brought us back to Simons. People in Portland are super excited about Anthony Simons. He just steps on the court and the whole Moda Center just gets a big smile on their face. All of the, you know, writers sit forward in their chair waiting to see what he's going to do. There's videos that come out of practice of him, you know, jumping so high. It's like, how does that kid get up there in the air so high. People are really excited to see more of Anthony. And we've learned, you know, over the past years, you know, how Stotts typically develops players is unless there's an exceptional need, it's usually a three-year trajectory. So rookie season, they play a lot in the G League and they learn how to be a uh, NBA player. And then the second season they get in and they have sets and they have plays. And then the third season they see the court more kind of like Jake Lehman did. So we're really excited to see Anthony. And even though it'll only be his second year, I think he showed enough promise that my guess would be that he'll take some of the Seth Curry minutes. Cause Seth wasn't really a, a point guard. He was more of a shooting guard. And I think Anthony kind of can do both again with other ball handlers that the Blazers already have. Um, that Sacramento game that you're talking about, just in case listeners weren't riveted to the last game of the season between the Blazers and the Sacramento Kings. Uh, I was at that game and it was supposed to be a meaningless game. And it was one of those games that like the meaning of the game changed like five times within it because of other games that were going on. And so it was all like juggling for who was going to end up in which seed. And at some points it wasn't important. And then it got really important. But the really important thing was that Stotts decided to play 
Anthony Simons, Scal Lavissier, and Gary Trent Jr., and I think Jake Lehman, they all played 48 minutes. There were four guys who played 48 minutes, and then there was like Myers Leonard and Zach Collins played, you know, a little bit. Yeah, what did Zach Collins do to have to – was he being punished that he had <laughs> Well, to he only like had to play like thir- – I think he only played yeah, like 13 played, minutes. I'm looking at the game. I can play 13. I just find it so funny that all their rotation players uh, – I mean, Myers Leonard was clearly important, but in and out of the rotation. It's just funny that Zach Collins is in there. Oh, we, we, I guess we needed a sixth guy to play those 13 minutes and change. Yeah, I don't I don't know what, but it was like, you know, other games were going on and it was like if I can't remember all the nuance. There was a guy in front of me at the game who was trying to explain it to me and I was like, let's just wait and see what happens because it was like Minnesota was playing and was beating Denver or something like that and then they were losing and uh but for whatever reason Stotts just left the young guys in and they just played their heart and they if you've got the game called up, you can tell me like what a big hole they had gotten into. They were down by like 20 or more points, I think. And they, uh, they came back and it was just, it was the most bonkers game of the year, but it was the Anthony Simons game. I think he scored like 37 points and he was just like scoring from everywhere. And he wasn't playing against, you know, Sacramento's a team. So obviously this is not a, um, you know, going to, you know, indicate how well he's going to do against golden state next year. Um, but you know, he has a, just a huge confidence. He has giant bounce. He has a smile on his face that when he gets going, he looks like he's 12 years old because he just has one of those baby faces. And I think people just don't know what to do about him. He didn't play in college. So people like weren't, you know, they don't have anything to gauge their game on. And don't forget those guys who played in that last Sacramento games. That was the 2018 Summer League Championship team. So they have a little bit of championship <laughs> experience under their belt as well. <laughs> but yeah, no, I think Anthony Simons, we're going to see more next year. People in Portland are very excited about him. The. <laughs> He hit, I, I know the Kings end up pulling Dave Yeager. I, his rotation was so weird. He, he started his main guys and then just yanked them. Um, they barely ended up playing. Uh, my my favorite thing from that game is that Anthony Simons hit five pull-up three-pointers this season, and they were all in that game. <laughs> that sounds about right. <laughs> so do you, so you, is your prediction that he ends up breaking the mold relative to what we know with Stotts and, and their youngsters that we're going to see – you know, maybe not 25 minutes a game for him, but that he'll be a more regular part of the rotation next year. And and maybe, maybe I'm overthinking it to where it's just going to become a necessity where they just might not have the, the bodies uh, to flesh out the roster with. Yeah. And I think, I think he'll play more than is typical of guys in that normal trajectory. So, um, and I, Damian Lillard also really likes Anthony Simons. He brought Anthony up in his exit interviews. Damian said, you know, in a few years when my career is winding down or in, when my career is winding down, you guys are going to be asking Anthony all these questions. And everyone was like, whoa, first off, we're not ready to talk about (laughs) your career winding down, but also, wow, that is a lot of confidence, uh, in, in Anthony. So I believe, yeah, he'll, we'll see him more and we'll see him in more games, whether or not he plays longer in those games, but I think we'll see him more regularly in those games. You know, and Stoss does this every once in a while. Like he played, Zach Collins a lot his uh, rookie season. He played Zach Collins alongside Ed Davis, and 
Zach Collins, I think, matured a lot faster than um, people were expecting because he had that like one-on-one time during actual NBA games with Ed Davis. So maybe he'll try something like that with Anthony. Maybe he'll put Anthony in there with somebody who can teach him the ropes as they're playing, and that could maybe help speed things up in terms of his development. I've already kept you longer than I said I would, so uh, as long as you don't have any problems, I just want to get to our listener questions. uh, Sure. If you're game. Um, this is just going to step on the toes of everything you just talked about, but uh, <laughs> this is from Kelly Schwehart. I apologize if I butchered that, at Kelly underscore S7. Does Anthony end up replacing Seth then in the rotation? Or I think the latter half of this question would be, do you think the Blazers will go out and get uh, another guard that they view as as a rotation mainstay? Yeah, like I said, they will probably... You know, I'm not, maybe this is the year that they do something different. I don't know, uh, because Gary Trent Jr. also can handle the ball. But my guess would be they're going to do what their tried and true thing is, is they will go out and they'll get somebody on a minimum, like for a real bargain, who will be that backup point guard. And then Anthony will be like on a specific development trajectory. Um, This question comes from Pinwheel Empire at Pinwheel Empire. Uh, very heated about this question. What was the point of stretching Anderson Barajas' contract? Portland was under the cap floor that year and definitely below the luxury tax line. Stretching that contract rather than paying it out that season ended up causing Portland to pay more luxury tax now. I appreciate uh, how bent out of shape Pinwheel Empire is still about stretching yeah. Anderson Barajas' contract. I just love being able to say former Blazer great Anderson Barajas just because <laughs> he was such a such a player who just did not he was not one of my favorite players. And I just think it's just one of those things like, you know, the fact that he never even played and we've got him on the books and we, you know, and we got him like right after, uh, I don't know, both he was played on Cleveland and golden state. I mean, like, could there be a more annoying person hanging around on the books? I don't know. But the one that bothers me more is Festus Azili. They they stretched Festus Azili and they only owed him a million dollars. And so we have $333,333 on our book for yet another year because of Festus Azili. So, yeah, I, mean, I was looking at that Anderson Verjao trade and it was like super complicated. It was one of those ones that's like a whole paragraph in Real GM. So, yeah, I got I got nothing. No idea. <laughs> but yeah, it's annoying. Yeah. I don't know if they – I can't even remember back that far. That was 2016, I think they got him and the first round pick. That whole – that trade, I think the magic were – it got weird, that trade. You're absolutely right. Yeah. I don't know if they just wanted the, the roster spot or whatever or they were looking at it as, oh, he's making uh, – what was he, at $9.6 million that year or whatever? So – um, the Blazers dead money, uh, at, like you yeah. said before, $5.1 million next year. Andrew yeah. Nicholson is going to be paid by Portland through the 2022, 2023 season for, for anyone who cares. Um, no, I think it actually might be even longer than that because I was like, oh, cause I was, it was so far in the future. I was like, I don't even know what's going to be happening in the world. And apparently that's the next time there's going to be a solar eclipse in the United States, in North America will be the year that they finally pay off Andrew Nicholson. Oh yeah. You know what? My <laughs> Google Doc that I have of every team, it just cuts off at 2022, 2023. Yeah, so. Right, right. I mean, if that doesn't tell it, say it all, right? <laughs> like your, your Google Doc doesn't even go out that far. That's how long they have to pay Andrew Nicholson. Uh, they did get off that Alan Crabb deal, though, that Brooklyn yeah. eventually gave up two first-round picks to, to get off. So there's, there's that. 
Um, <laughs> this, this is the most, this might actually be a more random question. Wes Anderson Cooper at Zach the Beard. What are the chances we get Draymond Green this year, who is not a free agent? But he did, he did include a picture of Draymond Green in a Portland Trailblazers jersey. I want you to know that. Okay. Well, you know, um, I don't have, I actually don't have any problems with Draymond Green. I think it would be exciting and it would be fun. And I just not sure who the Blazers would able be able to not have as Draymond Green, not a free agent this year. Does he have one more year before he becomes a free agent? Yeah. Is it just Clay and KD for the Warriors next year? Clay and KD, and I guess just everybody else on the roster. So that would be a big in. that would be a big trade, you know. Well, that would I would that would certainly qualify as a big splashy trade, which I think the Blazers at least need to attempt to do. Um, yeah, and that's the, what the next question is. I'm glad someone asked because that's the question I ended up kicking out of my notes when I realized how much I was how long I was keeping you. <laughs> but I guess if Kevin Durant goes back to Golden State and refuses to play with Draymond Green, and they look at trading Draymond Green, and he gets on the trade market. Don't think that's the scenario they get to, but uh, if Wes really wants Draymond Green, that's what you need to cross your fingers for, I would imagine. Uh, this question comes from Mark, Mark AF1984. Will Portland be able to turn some of their expiring contracts into useful players via trade? He gives Kevin Love as an example. Yeah, Kevin Love is one that comes up a lot, partly because he's from here, um, partly because people, you know, wonder if he's really happy there in Cleveland and like, does Portland want to go get somebody and bring him back home? I don't know. Again, the things about all these scenarios is that how often is it the ones that we think are going to, the ones that people talk about are the ones that actually happen, especially when it comes right. to trades, right? Like even when players say that they want out and they're requesting a trade and they have a list, I mean, when was the last time anybody got traded to their list? I mean, let's look at like recent history. You know, Paul George wanted to go to L.A. Kawhi Leonard wanted to go to L.A. Jimmy Butler wanted to go to, you know, the Knicks or the Clippers. Kyrie wanted to go to the Spurs or the Knicks or the Heat. Porzingis had places that, you know, nobody goes <laughs> to yeah. where you think they're going to go. So I just kind of throw my hands up in the air and just say, I'm just going to wait and and see what happens. I like to do the thought experiments, but I don't get too married to any scenario just because it's always we are always looking one direction and they go somewhere else entirely. I think and that's the, what makes it fun. Yeah, and I, I think that what it, what might be an actual or even a like a better question than trying to look at the specific targets is do you think that's something they're more aggressive about trying to do this year? Because Olshay is normally I would say on the conservative side when it comes to trades and for someone who doesn't value first round picks as immediate contributors, the Blazers don't, it doesn't seem like they trade them terribly often either. So they're in like this. I'm, I'm just wondering if, is this like the impetus now when you look at how many guys are entering free agency, they just made the Western conference finals. Is this the off season um, with all these expiring contracts that they have that maybe they really go harder after that bigger splash? Yeah, no, I do think that they are going to try with those. I mean, it's something that they've consistently said is that, you know, it's for somebody who is not in Portland, you have to understand that every time Neil Olshay has a press conference, we have a bingo card and we get prepared to be talked into absolutely anything like 
you know, you could go down to the Nike company store and the, the, um, you know, the, the dummy at the front that's wearing a, a uniform, like by the end of a press conference, Neil Olshay could convince us that he's the greatest new hope for the Blazers. <laughs> I mean, the guy can like convince you of everything. And I'm pretty sure the thing that we're going to start to hear is like how valuable these expiring contracts are after all these years of everybody grumbling, he's going to turn around and be like, Oh, there are these fabulous assets that we have now that we can trade these expiring contracts or whatever. And so I, I do think that the Blazers are, I do believe him in that he is actively always trying to improve the team as well as be responsible to his owner. And I think that the way that he does that is by looking at ways that they can use those contracts to bring in somebody who meets the needs that the Blazers have. So that's like the most boring way, I think, of saying yes. <laughs> I do agree with you, though. It just seems like this might be the offseason they try it. And just two more questions before I let you go. I'm going to hijack this one, too. Um, Siskos Attila, I apologize for the mispronunciation if that's from at Siskos Attilas, at C-S-I-K-O-S-A-T-T-I-L-A. Who do you think is the most valuable player on the trade market that the Blazers would have a realistic chance at getting? If you, like you said, specific targets are almost... They're almost stupid to suggest, even though I, I like you, like I love going through the thought process of them. I will throw out one of my own to see what you think of it, though. Uh, Robert Covington, just mm. as a, I don't think a guy that Timberwolves are looking to move necessarily, but they have um, the new president of basketball operations, Gerson Rosas. I don't think you look at them and say they're a team that can definitely compete now. And so I could see them being someone that if you can get, you know, salary filler and two first round picks for Robert Covington who has three years left on his deal and is a fantastic team defender, quality shooter, not a very good dribbler, but the Blazers are used to that. Is that someone you would uh, like for uh, think is a good fit for the Blazers or are you looking at some other type of archetype of a player completely different? Uh, yeah. I mean, I don't know. Like I said, I can be, can I can be talked into just about anybody. The only thing that I look at that I'm looking at at this point is teams that the Blazers have traditionally uh, dealt with or have relationships with being the more, the ones that are more likely. And while they haven't in the past, in the more recent past done a lot of transactions with the Timberwolves, they do, the Timberwolves do now have uh, David Vanterpool as their associate head coach. He's a former Portland defensive uh, coordinator. So how many head coaching interviews did he go on? Like <laughs> a lot. Was, yeah. yeah, he was, I mean, he really had a good situation here. So I think he really wanted to make sure he was going into a situation that he really liked. Um, but so I can't, I don't think of that's something that maybe might happen right away, but I think, um, also we haven't talked about the fact that maybe some of these aren't going to be done right now that some of these, um, might be done more likely to be, um, enacted at the trade deadline. So once, what I'm getting at is once Blazers have uh, established, you know, now they have a relationship with Timberwolves and they can get um, some good intelligence on a player, they would be more likely, I think, to uh, bring him into the fold. Yeah, that's especially with expiring contracts, you pounce when teams realize that they're not as good or that they're just flat out bad. And so the Timberwolves, that would probably be the situation since they're so... I, I, they haven't committed to a direction and you, it's just, they're tough to project. The final question comes from rip city on they, uh, <laughs> rip city on yeah. the a double asterisk at rip city 
on a actually has three questions, but you already answered two of them, so they can see uh, the previous parts of this podcast about Aminu, Simons, and Collins. This one, he's at, uh, asking, what kind of contracts do you think Hood and Canner get on the open market? I I would add to that, who do you think is more likely to come back or at least be within the Blazers' price range this offseason? Oh, that I mean, that's the that's the big the big question. If I and I usually like when my podcast partner Dan asks me to choose, I usually wiggle out and don't choose. But since I'm a guest, <laughs> my podcast partner is the same way. Every time I ask Andy a question, it's just like hedging city. Yeah. So um, I think just because of the immediate need for center, it's a little more likely that Cantor stays. I think he just ends up being cheaper too. That's my guess. I have no, that's just my gut feeling. And that's mm-hmm. going to be easier for him to return. Um, mm-hmm. Tara, thank you so much for allowing me to commandeer way too much of your time. Oh, this was super fun. I'm sorry. I went on a little bit long, but like no, I said, I love talking about the Blazers. I'm terrible at time management. I appreciate anytime guests give me more than an hour of their time above and beyond. If you are not following Tara Bowen Biggs, whose name I screwed up at the beginning of this podcast and will never happen again, you need to fix that immediately at TCBBIGGS. That's TCB Biggs. Tara Bowen Biggs uh, does a fantastic job covering the Blazers, co host of the Blazers Edge podcast, and also Women's Hoops and Talks podcast. Uh, what acronym that I, I love, and I've made that clear. And you can follow them at Hoops and Talks as well, spelled exactly like it sounds. Tara, thank you again so much for coming on. I'm, I'm sure I'll be pestering you again in the future. And until next time, I leave everybody else with a shout out to Kyle Anderson. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters, the more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Rootmetrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.